It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. On my senior in my locker, but yeah, been a lot. Been a lot to me. Now rent's due every day and I gotta go pay it. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast, the Husker Fan Sports Show with Dave, Honky, Mac, and Boomer. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, David Gaspers, and I'm with Honky. Unfortunately, the Redcast also missed our chance at Joe Burrow two years ago. <laughs> he was so close to joining the team. I was really, really surprised. Yep. Uh, also with Mac. Hello, Redcasters. I hope you all enjoyed this last and final bye week, and uh, you got some uh, yard work done. I know I did, and then it froze. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm also with Boomer. I'd just like to thank the uh, College Football Playoff Committee for uh, letting us all realize that the actual on-field results this season don't particularly matter that much. It's just preseason expectations, so congrats to the 2019 Big West Champions, Nebraska. All right. Yay! <laughs> yeah, Boomer, let's actually start there. What was the bye week? So we can start with um, maybe some college football talk in general. And the big result on Saturday was LSU going into Tuscaloosa and beating Nick Saban and uh, the uh, Crimson Tide, led by Joe Burrow, who I-, I learned was actually born in Iowa, but then obviously grew up in Lincoln for a while before following with his dad to Ohio. And we got the playoff uh, rankings out out tonight. Boomer, did I see that Georgia is fourth and Alabama fifth after LSU being one? So top five, there's three SEC teams in there. Is that right? Yes, that would be correct. Extraordinary. Minnesota, the Gophers, another big outcome of Saturday's games, takes down the Nittany Lions in Minneapolis. I don't believe it was a sellout crowd, right guys? Hard to fathom that, but uh, they're what, eighth, ninth, something like that? Yes, they jumped from 17th to 8th now. So, yes, they're right. behind several one-loss teams at this point. Yeah, and so uh, to your your hot take there, Boomer, it does seem to matter where you begin in those polls and the perception of your talent level. Apparently, Alabama, who has not really beaten anybody yet, can still be ranked 5th, just on the verge of the playoff with no real uh, results to point to that, that ranking. I guess it... Shouldn't be unexpected, but it's still annoying just to see it every time this comes out. It, even some of the media, I think, has kind of called this into question this year. I, I saw Stuart Mandel had even asked, because uh, uh, Rob Mullins, college football playoff director, came out and said that he had mentioned Minnesota had only played one conference team with a winning record prior to playing Penn State. Well, the same thing's true of Alabama. So and Mandel asked him, well, did you compare Minnesota and Alabama? And Mullins said, well, I wasn't in the room at the time, so he doesn't know. So that's the you know playoff <laughs> committee in a nutshell right there, but... Like what you said, a lot of this just seems to be based off of perceptions and laundry and brand name, and they're supposed to start anew every week, but let's be honest, they really aren't, because if you were taking a legitimate look at records, results, who they've played, what they've done, can you really make a legitimate argument Alabama should be ahead of Minnesota at this point in this ranking, other than where they'd started and that Minnesota was 17th last week? Yeah, but Boomer, even think about this. You said brand name, but I think Ohio State has a pretty good brand name, right? And a year ago, they lose on the road 
at six and seven Purdue, and that destroyed them. I mean, that's mm. you can't have a loss like that and be a brand name like Ohio State and stay in the top four. That's impossible. How's that South Carolina team that beat Georgia in Athens doing? Well, Appalachian State was yeah, it's a real power noted. So I mean, that was a sure. great good loss for South Carolina there. They did lose to App State. They did, yes. So they are four and six. And it's also just kind of amusing seeing this whole process play out. To everyone's talking about how you know Auburn's could be this great win for Alabama coming up in a week or two to really help cement their whole year. But that Auburn's the bad loss is going to drag Oregon out of this whole playoff. There just seems to be so much inconsistency in just applying rules to the way they want it. To be. Yeah, to your point on that, that's exactly right. Uh, another interesting uh, Twitter back and forth, I think it was between Pete Burns and uh, Adam Rittenberg, I think. And I, I think Pete Burns said something to the extent of, well, we all know that Alabama would be favored by 14 points over Minnesota. Of course they're ahead of Minnesota. That's a flawed logic. And I feel like the entire committee is taking that logic to reasons or places that just don't make any sense. Honestly, let's think about this, guys. Minnesota has a chance to beat Iowa and Wisconsin in the next couple of weeks. They have three ranked victories and be 12-0. They could even go and beat Ohio State and be 13-0. And let's say Alabama goes go ahead and they lose another game. They finish ten and two. What do you think Las Vegas would make the odds between a ten and two Alabama and a thirteen and zero Minnesota? Yeah, they'd saw Bama probably winning it. Yeah. Bama's still winning that game according to Vegas odds. Well, and I'm sure they'd play the game in neutral Atlanta somehow too. So, <laughs> <laughs> look when you're basing your poll off of eye test, quote unquote or recruiting rankings, right, which makes a big difference, apparently, because Alabama has better talent than Minnesota. We clearly know that, which I'm not going to debate. It's true. They're more talented. They're going to put more guys in the NFL. Uh, But at some point, you have to ask, what have you done on your schedule to prove that you deserve to make the playoff? Right, Hunk? Fire away. Well, I mean, Micah Parsons is a pretty good recruit, and I think Penn State gets pretty good recruits. They're a, a routine top 15, top 20 kind I've of recruiting of them, yeah. team too. And Minnesota, who doesn't get those recruits, just beat them. Yeah, at some point, results have to matter. If not, just send us to a bowl game. Because we've said it before, Nebraska just plays away from being 7-2 and two right now. But yeah. we've lost. We'll send people to that bowl game, no problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, if we lose the next three games, we'll go four and eight. But hey, we could have been that close to ten and two. Who knows? Yeah. So just send us to a bowl game. It doesn't work that way. You do eventually have to win games. You have to have results. And whether we like row the boat or not, they're nine and zero right now, and they just beat a top ten team. And a lot of the other teams that are in the top ten right now can't claim that same thing. Yeah. And Alabama's one of them. Another one of the comments, uh, I think it was Herb Street tonight, even commented how Minnesota could go 12-0, and lose to Ohio State in the Big Ten title game, and they're out. But Alabama's still got a good chance to get in. I mean, what is the logic behind that? And that's just another frustrating part of this. Apparently, recruiting rankings now actually do matter, right? Because apparently, I guess, yeah. if you have more talent, you deserve a second shot. Yeah, I mean, if we're just booking this for rankings and everything, we might as well just go full pro wrestling style and just, yeah, we might as well be in a bowl game. What the heck? We'll draw. It's all a moot point because that would require Bama getting in there without winning their division. Ah, good point. That can't happen. Yeah, yeah you're right. Never, never gonna. Oh, wait a second. That may happen. <laughs> I mean, if the committee has their way, it seems like there'll be three SEC uh, teams in there, for goodness sakes. Mac, what, what's your thoughts on this? Yeah, it's, it's fascinating to watch how this kind of the banter goes around these you know, different programs, they'll talk about it. And the the amount of advocates that Alabama has 
throughout the country is just it's phenomenal to me. And I get it. They have a track record. They have a history. They have a recruiting base. They could put guys in the league. They're a very good team. And I don't remember who said it, but he's like, what's the point of playing the games then? You know, like at some point you have to deal with your own schedule and win games. Minnesota's doing it. They're in a power five conference. They beat a top 10 team. The media will fall in love with a team like Boise State or even like UCF. But it's like Minnesota gets no love and they're in a conference that actually matters. And it's that's a good point. Like you said, it's like a moot point because who cares? It's Minnesota. I, I almost wonder. If it's because P.J. Fleck is so obnoxious. <laughs> I, I, I honestly do. If he was like a more likable coach, if people would buy into it a little bit better. Because he does have talent. He's got some decent players on that team. And he has one hell of a resume now. It's what he did at Western yeah, Michigan. It's and not, now it, it, he's done it. Pretty comparable to Frost. Very comparable. Yeah, especially after next year when Frost also starts 9-0, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I'd, I'd seen some people on Twitter, you know, calling Fleck like a flash in the pan. And you can't say he is. Great success everywhere he's gone. I mean, uh, Mac, to your point, BYU, for example, in 1984, had everything fall into place, and somehow they were voted number one in the country, even though they really didn't play anybody, but they were the last team standing, essentially. they It's because they beat Pitt early in the year, I believe, in that, that season. Uh, they got a, a better reputation than usual, even though they were in the whack at the time. And then they run through their schedule. They beat Michigan in a, a bowl game, a very average Michigan team, and, and no one else was undefeated, so they got voted number one. In this day and age, that would never happen. And I, so, I mean, to take this extreme thought of, well, Alabama always deserves to get in the playoff because we always know they're one of the most talented teams and best coach teams and quote, et cetera, et cetera. So let's just put them in there, even if they're only 11 and one and, and didn't win their own division. If you took, you know, an Oklahoma team from the 80s or a Nebraska team from the 80s that, you know, lost a game. We knew that they were, we were better than a lot of other teams that potentially won a national title. You know, if, if Nebraska, Miami in 1983 for the 84 Orange Bowl played 10 times, honky, how many times do you think we would have won that game? Nine. Nine out of 10 times. The one game it did. We play them the wrong time. Yeah. It mattered, and we lost, and we owe up to it, right? We lost to Miami in the 84 Orange Bowl, and we didn't win a national title. But the stats tell you that we would have won that game nine times out of ten, and we just didn't do it. Yeah. And But in this day and age, that it, we know Nebraska would be better than Miami, so we would just get them in the playoff, right? Well, I think the key is, and, and maybe to kind of close out on the, the playoff talk here, is that what Alabama has shown is that it is very important to – Schedule hard in your non-conference, and yes. you know, and if you do that, and couple that with getting some good recruits, I think you know you should definitely be guaranteed a spot, regardless of what your outcomes are in the game. So, anyways, that's a very good lesson to learn, kids. Uh, let's segue out of big picture national talk into some big picture Husker talk. And we had a couple of questions that came through our Plowboys barbecue and a mailbag, and. While we're talking about Plowboys for a second, if you are looking to tailgate this weekend, you want to get some catering done, uh, Plowboys will do that. Give them a call, 402-476-6511, or you can get them at their uh, website, pblincoln.com. Tell them the Redcast sent you. The food is outstanding. They'll cater. Great place to go to. So think about that for your tailgates. So anyways, the first question that came into the mailbag, and this is for, you know, kind of think big picture here, fellas, Husker football. This came from NASCAR Jeff on Twitter. And he said, predict the biggest, most noteworthy change that the Frost regime will make this offseason. If you don't see any big changes coming, that's a valid answer and newsworthy after how the season has played out. 
So, Dave, I'm going to ask you first here. What do you think uh, might be some big noteworthy changes, or do you think none are going to happen? Sure. That's a really good question, uh, NASCAR, Jeff. I've been thinking about that for a while, and I I don't see a a lot of major changes. I don't see the um, staff shakeup that some people might like to see or a QB battle that results. Although I, I do believe that the QB position, as like all positions, should, should be an open competition. I feel like a healthy Adrian Martinez would still win that next year. What I do see, and, and this is what a little bit frustrating, I think, with this conversation about, you know, is Scott Frost over his head? Can he figure this out? How is he going to do this? Is that one of the reasons we hired Scott Frost and why a a program like Florida or Tennessee was interested in hiring Scott Frost is not just his Nebraska connections, right? We kind of fixate on that and his connection to Osborne, but it was his extensive coaching tree that he came from, right? I mean, he he has played or coached with some of the best coaching minds uh, in the country. And so I feel like he would have the opportunity, whether it's actually hiring someone as a consultant basis or just simply having, you know, calling up someone like Mike Tomlin and, and saying, hey, can you come over for the weekend and talk about, you know, 3-4 defense with my coaching staff, you know? I mean, Mac, I mean, don't you feel like uh, Frost will be able to call on his resources and that was always one of the strengths that he brought to this position? Yeah, I think he would probably just stop shy of uh, tackling consultants or bringing in. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, he, you're right, though, Dave. He's got a ton of people to pull from. If he feels like he's seeing a deficiency in some particular area that they're not addressing, that they could certainly bring in some of that he could count on to give him advice on going forward. Think that. about the coaching clinics, Mac, that we've gone to throughout the years. Right. These the head coaches are always bringing in contacts yep. that they have. And to your point there, Dave, you know, Tomlin and, and Parcells and I mean, good Lord. Yeah. I mean, the list that people think, you know, he Morris, yeah. Yeah. People think it's only like Osborne that can st- come over and give him a little advice. And that was part of the resume when he got hired. He does have a, a Rolodex that should look pretty impressive, uh, for football context. Yeah. Offensively, you think him and Chip Kelly might be talking a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. seeing what worked, what didn't work, that type of stuff, you know, mm-hmm. I feel like he has the, resources and and also from a athletic department resources standpoint if he wants to hire someone uh you know more more guys uh analysts if they are whatever you call them let's do it oh yeah you know nascar jeff's question it's a good question nascar jeff you know i think he's trying to get something out of us do we think that there's going to be some big change i'm going to throw this over to boomer and i don't know if you have any thoughts prepared on it but i mean can you predict any big noteworthy change that you think is going to happen this offseason Unless Frost decides he just needs more sleep and retires, I don't anticipate any huge changes in the staff unless it's some voluntary staff member deciding to try something different. From what we've seen of Frost so far, he doesn't strike me as the guy who's going to make any you know, big changes at this point. You know, He's been pretty loyal to the staff you know, for the year so far. I don't anticipate him making any great changes unless the bottom totally falls out in these next three games. It you know, It is certainly possible you might see him bring in you know, some sort of analyst, some sort of non-coach positions like maybe a clock management coordinator if you need that dm us you know we're always here for that uh no i don't i don't foresee any huge shakeups you know in the off season at this point so the the willie taggart coming here and being our recruiting <laughs> coordinator that's not going to happen dave oh yeah yeah that's um hey if willie is interested yeah i mean i don't 
I don't quite understand uh, the the facts that we need to get a recruiting coordinator of Willie Taggart's ilk. But, or the Bo Pelini's um, back as D coordinator, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's another good one. Yes. Because you know he's built to stop the Wisconsin running game. Yeah. So. That's right. But I mean, there there could be uh, to this analyst standpoint, there could be coaches that are free agents for a year or two and that uh, are within Scott Frost network, and that that could make sense. I I wouldn't think that would be a a bad idea at all. Um, and it allows the continuity of the staff to continue um, while bringing in some new new thoughts and new energy to game planning and analysts, you know. Well, maybe the next question, then a follow-up to this, and this came on Facebook from Bummy Booth. He said, what in your mind will be the defining moment or moments that the culture has changed? So how will we know? We keep hearing culture, and Frost has mentioned it, you know, numerous times. How do we know when that culture has officially changed. I'll start with you here, Mac. That's a really good question. Culture is difficult to put your finger on. I do believe the guys are trying hard. I do believe there's effort being made. And as stupid as it sounds, I do think there's progress being made. But, man, I don't know if it's ever going to be just like a one-moment switch that you see. But I don't know that it is stupid, though, as it sounds. I think a lot of it... There is progress being made. Just today, we heard some different, you know, comments from our newest black shirt, uh, Garrett Nelson. Every class always kind of thinks they're the class that can turn things. What do you see in your particular class when you those guys that makes you think that it can be true? Actually, I'm not going to even talk about that. I'm a, we're going to focus on working hard every day. We're not going to be hyping each other up, being like, "Oh, we're the enough of that." We're going to come to work. We're going to do our thing, and we're going to focus on each other. We're not going to talk to anybody about it. And when it happens, it happens. We're not going to boast about it and say we were the class. We we're just going to be the guys that shows up that show up and work every day. We don't care about all that. Just that statement alone, that, look, we're not going to talk about this. Let's not hype it up. We're not going to be part of hyping it up as as the players, that we're simply going to go out there yeah. and do our job. And Maybe that's that will it. be the difference, is we will never hear the word culture anymore. That might be the difference. If we can stop saying that word, stop talking about that, stop flipping things, and just play ball – then maybe we're there. Dave, I guess, you know, we were in school there in the late 90s, and I don't remember culture being talked about a lot. When you have a great culture, you don't need to talk about it. I think that's as simple as you can be. Yeah, I think to your point here, I would say that the moment that we actually start taking care of business on a regular basis versus the teams that we should do that on a regular basis against the Indiana, Minnesotas, etc., mm-hmm. and we win those games easily, and it's it's a no big Still Saturday, that that's when uh, I feel like things get back to normal. Mm-hmm. I, I think the culture would be in place. I, I, f- I feel like it can get there relatively quickly with classes like Garrett Nelson's, who has that mentality from the get-go, mm-hmm. and they're not rebuilding that. That yeah. is pretty impressive uh, for that freshman kid <sighs> that nobody really offered a scholarship to to get a, to get a black shirt by the end of his freshman year. That's, that's pretty dang good. On, on multiple yeah. locations – Social media, there's a couple of other podcasts I had heard that were Big Ten related ones. I, I've heard people say that, you know, Frost so far, it's been a disaster and, and specifically has laid no foundation. Oh, that's ridiculous. That is absurd beyond belief. Look, I'll admit we have not had the success we wanted to have up to this point. I will, unlike Alabama, Results matter, and we have only won four games. Even though we were close to being 7-2 and two right now, that doesn't matter. We haven't won those games. But there is a foundation laid. And to that point there, Mac, nobody else was recruiting Garrett Nelson. 
And last year, we got five Nebraska kids. We're getting local kids. We're getting linemen from this Big Ten region that would have been going to, to Iowa and Wisconsin and Michigan and would have been playing against us. We wouldn't have had Ethan Piper. He'd be at Iowa where Iowa had offered him and Riley hadn't. Mm -hmm. Okay. All of those things would have been in place and we wouldn't be getting bets. We wouldn't be getting Heinrich. We wouldn't Mm -hmm. be getting Hickman, the best in state kids. If you can't see that a a foundation has been laid, you're just not looking for it. And you're trying, you're just being a dirk and you're just looking for every, every negative thing you can possibly go after. And it gets tiring. It gets really tiring to read and see. And quite honestly, people should be better than that. That's well said, Honk. I, I totally get what you're saying. I mean, I feel like whether we are that three plays away from seven and two or two plays away from being two and seven, the foundational elements that you're talking about there mm-hmm. is what the fan base needs to be more focused on. Because yes. we end up getting focused on the wins and the losses. And, and at this point in the rebuilding of the Nebraska program, the wins and losses are actually a little bit in, inconsequential. Is that right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> in, in the sense that, uh, it's, it's that foundational elements, uh, the re- recruiting in state, the, the toughness, the will to win, all those things that, um, we tend to want to gloss over and just get to the W's and, it takes longer than we want, right, Mac? It's Ugh. frustrating. And we're all frustrated, but I think we now realize that it's those things that we need to be more focused on than whether we're seven and two or two and seven. We can all be objective. And being objective is okay. Just piling on to pile on is just ridiculous at this point. Um, it's counterproductive. And plus it makes me sad. <laughs> like I don't I don't enjoy being that negative about my own team. It's like I don't need to go on Twitter and Facebook and hear all this crap that I can kind of see myself, but it's like the venom out there is just so ridiculous. I don't enjoy football that way, so I don't mm. understand people who enjoy football that way and just think – Throw out these stupid comments about firing coaches this early on or how Frost has lost this team. I'm like, it's ridiculous to me. And, I, and you know, this is why I don't get on uh, social media after losses because well, I cannot it, – it truly makes my heart hurt. I'm disheartened, fellas. Well, and that is one reason why I think, you know, Redcasters, I think you're really going to enjoy the next interview that we have coming up here shortly with Chaz from SoCal uh, because he is somebody on, on Twitter and someone on social media that I think tries to bring some intelligence to the conversation. Chaz is and a that's really good. I like Chaz. But, and let me finish with this here because this is – we're still objective. This is a two-way street. We will give as much – leeway and support as we can to the program i support the players i support the coaches and all that and all we ask in return out of that program is every once in a while you know what right now as we're going through these baby steps you got to throw a bone back to us yeah and a week like this when you're going to play a game like wisconsin a game that no one's expecting to win this would be a prime time to 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 show up and shut up some people that have been calling you names that wisconsin player that said you're not a rival you know come on man Husker players, let's We're go. Not a rival to Wisconsin. Yeah, well, you can't be a rival if you don't ever win a game, right? Michigan, Ohio, see? But that's not the point. <laughs> Ouch. Welcome back to the Redcast, and Mac and I are joined tonight by Chaz in SoCal. You've probably followed him on Twitter and been watching some of the videos that he posts and some of the breakdown and questions that he has. One of our favorite follows on Twitter, so welcome to the Redcast, Chaz. Thank you, thank you. 
Hey, Chaz, before we go any further, I just want to personally thank you for putting that stuff on YouTube. It is gold for me. I rewatch a lot of the game. Well, I used to rewatch a lot of the games. <laughs> yeah. At the start of the season, I was watching them a lot. But uh, like yeah. to have the radio content on top of it is so much more informative anyway. So thanks for doing that. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Isn't that cool? I, you know, I did it for me. In fact, I, to be honest, I've done all this stuff sort of <laughs> selfishly because I want to learn the game better. I'm not that smart. So I do a lot of this stuff for me. And I find out, you know, maybe there's other people would like to do it too. I don't need to be selfish about it. So I just share it. Well, thank you very much for making that decision. It's been great. Yeah, and I think a lot it of really people I think a lot of people appreciate it for no other reason than sometimes especially on social media, especially on Twitter where people can be so quick to respond with snarky comments to throw yourself out there and kind of ask a question cuz you just don't know the answer. I think that's really cool because I think as you're going to find and as you are finding, there's a lot of people that don't know those answers either. <laughs> that's it. I, I was talking to somebody today about this that I think there's sort of a, a kind of a, I don't want to call it a silent majority because they aren't silent, but there's a, I think the majority of fans are probably sort of in that category. We know enough to know what, you know, a 4-3 defense or a 3-4 defense is and maybe know what cover two is or at least, you know, that that's two guys back or quarters has four back or, you know, a few things like that, what sealing the edge is. Okay, so we know that much, but to know far more and understand why these plays work and how they work and why that guy can't seem to do it. And honestly, when I watch it, I think, how do they stop anybody? Because it's really, I, I can't imagine how they can do it. So when I've asked questions... I find a lot of people are asking the same questions that I'm asking. So it kind of, I like to think if we can elevate the intelligence, my own intelligence, Mm -hmm. and share that with everybody else, we can elevate the intelligence of the Husker fan base. I think they all want to support. They just also want to be smarter. See, I'm a teacher. An area that's always a struggle for me is, do I show plays where we screw up? With my kids, I'm always telling them, it's okay to make mistakes. Just learn from them. Right. Because most of my kids have always learned more from their mistakes than if they get it right every time. If they get it right every time, you know, move on. Let's go to the next level. Just a little while ago, I put a, a clip up that doesn't, you know, show somebody looking really great. But if you can discuss it and understand, look, this isn't to, you know, slam players or cut down. Everybody learns. They're going to learn from their mistakes. We're all human. Doesn't mean we're not going to support the guys. They're our team. These are our guys. They wear the end. We just want to learn the game better so we can better be more intelligent fans and supportive. You bring up a good question about putting up a, a play where we underperformed or didn't execute properly. But do you ever think about it in like terms that, you know, Twitter tends to focus on the most negative And you know if you put this play out and it features this one particular guy who is always kind of cannon fodder for where it's like, ah. You know, it's Twitter just has a tendency to go towards the nasty as opposed to looking and going, oh, yeah, we're close. You know what I mean? Well, here's the way I've handled it. By the way, the same thing for coaches. Sure. Because, uh, you know, right now the defensive staff, uh, for whatever reasons, and, well, there's plenty of reasons you can see that the defensive staff is taking under fire and, and Coach Frost is under fire and individual players are under fire. Somebody else will post other things and shows that players, no, not giving 100% effort. Uh, at least it looks like they're not giving 100% effort. You know, you see all that. And for me, the way I handle all this is, first of all, I respect people. So I'm going in it with the attitude that people aren't going to feel that way. Uh, I'm going in it with the attitude that the majority of Husker Nation feels pretty much the same way I do, which is I hurt for the kids. It's frustrating to see the team play poorly at times. But you know they're giving their hearts. 
then for those that want to throw trash out or want to slam, frankly, I just mute them. If they're going to create an audience of negativity, then I'll block them. I'll say, okay, you can't play. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's totally fair, stuff. too. But for the most part, I haven't had to do that. If this is going to be something that's going to tear the program down, I'm not interested. Yeah, yeah, that is a- that's exactly where we've been at as a podcast from day one. We've always said we're fans first. We deal yeah. in media and we deal in social media and all that. And we're starting to interview a couple of other fans that we call influencers, just like you are. And we've built a large enough audience that at least when we post something, it can be recognized. It can be seen by a lot of people. It can be seen by coaches. It can be seen by parents. It can be seen by the players. There's a certain amount of responsibility that comes with that. We get stuff sent to us on a fairly routine basis. Mm. People will DM us or text it or tweet it to us, and it'll be some kind of rumor, and we just do nothing with it because there's no point in that. It doesn't add any value to the program. It doesn't add any value to the kid. Half the time, they're not right, as we're seeing. And I think, you know, we try to play a very responsible role, and I give you a lot of credit with that, too, is that there's nothing wrong with being positive. It doesn't make you rose-colored and and silly. In fact, I think you've shown to be very intelligent with how you ask questions, and yet we can still be positive in how we interact with the program that we all care for. I think that's one of the reasons you don't have to mute a lot of people is the way you present stuff on Twitter, and I've always liked this about you, is you're never negative about it, and I just kind of like that. Here's the thing. I never played football. Unlike most fans, most fans never played football. I never played. When I was a kid, I was in a full-length brace three and a half years. Have you ever heard of the Shriners? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, man. I was a Shriners kid in Salt Lake City, Utah. I was there for three months, given a 50-50 chance of ever walking again. I've had a great life, and and a lot of great things have happened uh, over the years. But I totally have been from the spectator standpoint because I couldn't do sports. The only way I could learn it is by watching. That's why, you know, I'm way behind the eight ball in terms of uh, learning the game. I'm just now starting to really, you know, learn little by little. And this is uh, social media and YouTube and technology has really opened the door for me and hence a lot of other people to finally understand more and it's fun learning is fun yeah. and of course there's a teacher in me yeah do you ever go to fish duck on youtube oh yeah Man, Doc, he, I, I, I saved every dog on one of those things. yeah he was great yeah, I, I really I liked you could tell where he was coming from when i hear you talk it sort of reminds me of what he's talking about he's like you know because he kind of came up with his own name for these polling concepts and whatnot but i mean like he did a nice job of breaking it down i wish i had software like he did to kind you know, of break that down. Out, you know some of those are out of date i've got them oh all. yeah some of those have changed a lot. some of the terminology in his earlier ones what was inside zone and outside zone and how you could tell the difference mm-hmm. well that's changed because coaches figured out yeah, this gives it away so we gotta yeah get it back. so what what's the name yeah. uh, fish duck fish duck. so i'm not familiar with that and maybe some of our listeners aren't either so mac can you kind of explain it like, who is oh, he's, he he's just got a youtube channel it's like i'm not sure if it's fishduck.com but it's just an Oregon yep, yep. Oregon football fan who goes and breaks down film, gotcha. and he just. Uh, but well, but like Chaz was saying, it is it is out of date. I think it was started around two thousand nine, maybe. Yeah. Uh, to two thousand thirteen, two thousand fourteen. I don't know. It was it was when Scott was there, though. You'll see him breaking down stuff uh, with plays and players during the frost time there. I don't think it exists anymore. Uh, I think it got to be too much of a burden financially and otherwise. Yeah. But it was really good. 
as you mentioned, there are players that are under fire sometimes. There are coaches that are under fire. And to some extent, that can be fair, but they should be under fire for the right things. And a lot of times what we see, especially in knee-jerk reactions on social media, is some kid or some coach is getting called out, and then when you actually get a chance to watch the video, something different. So to really break down video, as tough as that is after a loss, that's one of the first things a lot of us don't want to do is watch the video, but to really break it down, you start to learn from it. And one of the things that you've done, you've gone out and solicited the advice of, of people that have played the game. I've seen Troy Dumas, uh, Damon Benning, and connect some of the dots on the questions that you've had. Well, there's a reason for that. <laughs> Otherwise, you've heard the term shared ignorance. <laughs> <laughs> I get them all the time where I say, gee, that's a heck of a question. I don't know. And that's when sometimes I'll tag in a couple other guys and say, hey, can you guys help me out on this? Mm-hmm. Uh, and you've mentioned some of them. Trey Neal's another one that's uh, that's come to Coach Brian down here, uh, he used to coach at Calabasas. He's been great. He's a, a real good uh, help in terms of a lot of this stuff. Some uh, good uh, high school coaches there in Nebraska that have pitched in and helped. And they're qualified to answer. They're the guys I'd really prefer to be the guy doing what you do. I'd rather be the guy asking the questions and getting the responses from the people who know what the heck they're talking about. What's really fun is when you get conflicting viewpoints of those people that all know what they're talking about. Because then you start realizing, you know, here I am trying to come up with a nice, simple answer. And even the people who are smart and who played this game and coached the game don't agree on what the solution is. Sometimes I have to ask the question, translates this to Chaz language, Chaz level. And when they bring it down to that level, then I can start to understand. But sometimes they're in a different arena, and I, I sort of say, well, okay, I'll, I'll catch up to you. Well, you know, uh, if we weren't called the Go Big Redcast, I think our other name was Shared Ignorance was the other title of the show. So we, <laughs> we, we know where you're coming yeah, from there. Yeah, you guys know more about this stuff than I think you'll add on. I know because <laughs> you're getting into somebody's coach. You've coached. You see stuff. That's how I got hooked on you guys. When you went to the spring uh, at practice and you start talking about what you saw, and uh, we can start having some good interactions there. That's when I kind of got hooked in. And this comes maybe from the coach inside, but it's hard sometimes to watch a play and not always knowing the intent of what the that's play the caller thing, was yeah. or what the intent of the yeah. call was. And that's the thing, no matter how smart somebody is or if they played it before or not, with my own eyes, I can look at it and go, well, I think this guy's supposed to do this, but I don't know if that's what it was called. So we see a lot of instances right now where we might have two linebackers filling the same gap, and it'll be like, oh, whose gap is that? And I'm like, well, based off of what I'm seeing, I think it's that guy, Mm -hmm. but I don't know if they called something. I don't know if there's a stunt. And that's where it's hard sometimes, no matter who you are, looking at it and saying with all certainty, you know exactly what it is when you're not the one making the call. Right. I'm reminded of a quote I learned, oh, probably 20 years ago. It was a Harvard professor, I think it was, by the name of Simon Kirkdall. And this is a line that's uh, stuck with me all these years. It's not so much what we don't know, but what we think we know that obstructs our vision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. I think there's a lot of what we think we know out there when it comes to Husker football. To what we think we know about the coaches, what we think we know about this play, what we think we know about this scheme. It's not that we don't know, it's, it's what we think we know. And the catch is getting beyond what we think we know to what is really true. And then everybody benefits. We all have fun learning, and we can be more intelligent and more informed uh, in our support for the guys that uh, are wearing the end. Chaz, you brought a question to us a couple of weeks ago, and it was that the vision for Husker football, and Mac and I at a coach's clinic two years ago, Frost came out and he talked about Husker power, Oregon speed. 
And it's really, oh, it's, yeah. it's the vision that's yeah. driving the whole future of this program is that we're going to marry these two concepts together. It's what Frost felt like he couldn't do at Oregon, not as a head coach. Right. So Oregon would go out and destroy 10 teams on their schedule, but they'd play a Stanford and they couldn't physically yeah. match up power for power. Right. They get to UCF, they start building that concept. And I mean, I feel like he only thought he was halfway through his build, even though they were an undefeated team. You know, he wanted a few more years, I think, to really take it to the next level. But you asked a good question about what kinds of players are needed at each position for that. What kind of offense does that look like? And defense, how does it operate? How does the current personnel match it? How do you recruit do you for recruit? it? Yeah, I, I, you know, what would be the profile? I think we got the quarterback. I mean, there's a few different places. Yeah, I think there's I a think few positions Adrian, that we that we are recruiting that profile. I agree. Yeah, I mean, Adrian was the first one, and you know, uh, because you heard what Coach Frost was raving about him is every bit uh, up there with better than Milton, and right up there with Marcus Mariota in terms of the kind of uh, ability and talent that, at least in Scott's eyes, he has. So you, you know they want a dual-threat quarterback. They want a guy who, who's tough. They want a guy who the power and speed. So this guy who's dangerous, throwing the ball, dangerous with his feet, got to be a good decision-maker. That's going to struggle a bit this year uh, for a number of reasons. But then you look at what uh, what are they doing with the offensive linemen. Well, we've seen what they're recruiting. What do you see as uh, the offensive uh, players? What kind of can you think of two or three positions that you could probably nail in terms of what would be the combination or how would it fit with Husker power and Oregon speed? Yeah, I think clearly on the line they're looking for length. And you saw that in the, the last two recruiting classes and what they're continuing to do. Uh, they want guys that are six six and taller almost across the board. They want very mobile uh, linemen. One of the reasons Cam Jurgens is – projected to be this great center for them is that here's a guy that can get to the second level and yeah. to the third level very athletic you know they want athletic powerful, linemen explosive. powerful guys that can cover a lot of space because when we're getting into some of these screen games and, and you're doing these rpos and guys are getting downfield they want linemen that can block and get beyond the first level mac i agree with you with the line and obviously adrian I feel like wide receiver's got to be an area that's looked at because you see with bets coming in, that's a guy that I feel like that changes that mold a little bit. I feel like we're going to have to go that way to get some more size on the outside, period. You know, that we've got big corners in the Big Ten that we have to contend with, and there's just times where you're not going to get separation. We need some 50-50 guys out there, and we simply lack that. And even though with the tight ends, we have that height that hasn't been something we've utilized. So that's something to me, you know, when I look at this offense and I look at the evolution of Husker power and Oregon speed, that's an area where it's going to probably be different than what Oregon ever did. We're going to need bigger guys on the outside. I think in general, we have a group of small receivers. We're still going to want some small receivers in the future, but you want to marry that with having some big guys too. We want to have fast backs. You want to have a big back like a Royce Freeman or like what a Dedrick Mills is, but you also want to still have a Wandell Robinson in the backfield or Maurice Washington. So you want to have multiple guys. Right now, we're not very multiple. We are the itty-bitty committee of receivers until we can get a couple of these big-bodied guys in there. On a side note, one of the things that's been applied to Adrian is he's always overthrowing people. Mm -hmm. His throws have been high. And part of that, he's got to throw over those linebackers that are playing back. But, so you got to get over the linebacker, but uh, under the, the defensive back playing back, well, that's a pretty small window, and that's one of the reasons 
you need to have those taller receivers. Again, this isn't mine. This is stuff that people who are smarter than me have shared with me as, as part of what comes with this. Mac and I were at the the Illinois game in Champaign. We talked about that that whole yeah. night. You know, you're going against a Tampa two defense, basically a cover two. And there's a lot of throws where you're having to get over the linebackers yeah. in front of the safeties. The ball has to be very particularly placed to be able to do both of those things. And when we have nothing but five nine receivers going up for it, those plays they end up looking like they're getting killed by safeties. Yeah. When the reality is, if that's a six three receiver, or or if that was a six seven tight end mm-hmm. who has an extra sixty pounds on him, you can make the exact same catch, and it doesn't look like such a wicked hit. Yeah. So so let's talk about that. I'm thinking about bets or that profile. What are all the attributes you're looking for in the ideal wide receiver? And let's just call it the X receiver just so. Okay, someone explain what the X receiver is. What, what would have been like the split end in the old day, uh, outside receiver on the line of scrimmage? Is that the guy on the strong side where the tight end lines up or the weak side? The strong side is going to be where the, where the tight end is. You're going to be opposite of that typically. Either way, so, so give me the attributes that you want. What are all the things you'd like to have in this uh, wide receiver that's perfect Husker power, Oregon speed wide receiver? If I was putting together a kid, it would look a lot like Betts. I think he's a very strong vertical threat. He's very long-limbed, too. You know, super long strides. How and he tall can, is he? Uh, he he's 6'3", six, six, three. Three, but I bet I would bet, this is a total, I'm pulling this out of nothing, but his wingspan looks more like a 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, guy. Huge okay. hands, big jumping ability. Great he's man. stronger after the catch than he looks. I mean, like, a guy who's really physical. You know, the corners in the Big Ten are bigger. We're going to need a little bit bigger, more physical guy able to break some tackles after the initial catch, and then that's what we're trying to do with the spread is get them in space. So Betts is prototypically, as far as athleticism and size-wise, is about perfect because he's also not so tall that he wouldn't be ineffective as a blocker on the outside, too. You didn't know this was coming. Perimeter blocking. You know, one of my go buttons is, uh, again, just cutting, going through film uh, this last week or so, uh, seeing the difference when you got good perimeter blocking, what that can do for the running game. That may be the single thing we miss the most about Stanley Morgan. That you it know, it could be. And you don't have to be a huge, big-bodied receiver to be a great blocking receiver. We had the itty-bitty committee of receivers back in the 90s, and they were the most tenacious bunch of dudes, the Reggie Balls and Abdul Muhammad's and yeah. Brendan Holbein's. I mean, it is not – John Federal. You don't have to be a big guy, but it doesn't hurt to also be a big guy if you're willing to stick your nose out there and block. So, I mean, to that point about, like, if I had to pick some prototypical receivers that could fit that X role that we're talking about that Nebraska's had over the last 10, 20 years, a Maurice Purify. You know, I think a Kenny Cheatham, those kind of guys. Now, Purify, I don't know that he blocked the way Purify's that I... Purify's a good example. I don't though. know that Purify blocks the way that I'd want him to. I mean, that's more of a coaching thing at that yeah. point. And can you get a guy to, to perform like that out there? Now, a position that I think is going to be interesting to see how it evolves here in the, in the next couple of years is tight end. Because we're yeah. seeing what they're doing with the Chris Hickman, and obviously they need to put some weight on him. I really think Legrone was a guy, a body type that they'd like to have had. Obviously, he isn't on the team this year now, but I think that is a style that there's room for kind of a squattier position guy like that, a 6'3", 235, 240 tight end who maybe can get in the backfield a little yeah, bit. Yeah, that would be See, a spot where that guy would be very... We, we saw against Purdue for the first time, I think it was Hickman they put in the backfield alongside yeah. the running back. So it's a two-back setup. And I was just watching Baltimore the other night, and you have... Lamar Jackson, the, the quarterback, and they'll have tight ends or fullbacks, essentially, in the backfield. Mm-hmm. And right now, we don't really have a guy that can really be an H-back. We have six, seven tight ends 
that you know are, they're not built the same way as a, a kind yeah, of a squattier yeah. fullback tight end kind of build like a Legrone could have been. Yeah, well, you you guys remember me in preseason and off season. Uh, I kept telling everybody because nobody was talking about Legrone. Nobody did that, and I kept saying, "Keep an eye on him." And this is you can start to see how he would have been a real asset this year. Uh, what he would bring uh, or would have brought that uh, really would have uh, been a, a real asset to the in terms of uh, not just his blocking but his athleticism, his uh, ability to separate, uh, to get open. You saw that with Aikens at uh, UCF, big guy, but he was he could stretch the field, he could get open, very athletic. I tell you what, the guy I like, I like uh, Hickman. When they get a little bit more weight on him, keep his athleticism. He only played just a few snaps, I don't know, five or six snaps against Purdue last, uh, a couple weeks ago. And his blocking was good. I would have loved to see him get the one swing pass that uh, was thrown behind him. Mm-hmm. Because uh, he had some blocking. Uh, he might have been able to break it, uh, might not have. I'd like to have seen uh, what he could do when he has to make a move and how he would have applied himself on that play. I think Hickman's going to be good. Uh, is it Vokalek, the guy from yeah. the Rutgers transfer? Yep. Travis Vokalek, yeah, yeah. I know it's been a disappointing year, but you got to look at uh, how close they've been and realize a lot of the mistakes haven't been because they've been beaten by better teams, but they've been self-inflicted. You can fix yourself a lot easier than you can try and uh, fix when other people are just other teams are just better than you. Do we have time to go to defense? Yeah. Because I have a better feel for what Husker Power Oregon Speed looks like on offense than what he wants on defense. And the reason why is I think of the national championship game of Oregon when they got stomped by Ohio State. And that was when uh, Scott in particular talked about this is why we need Husker Power. If I could have Husker Power with this team. They're kind of what they're recruiting. They're all 6'7", 6'8", 6'6", some big guys in up front. They were fast, quick feet, elusive. They could break through, and uh, they weren't short, stocky, powerful guys. Mm-hmm. They were fast. They're still powerful. Long arms, had length. A lot of what they've been recruiting. That's why I'm kind of curious about this. I'm curious about what are they going to be looking for in a pass rusher. If they're going to stick with this 3-4, which it sounds like they're going to, assume, yeah. those linebacker positions. Is the question is maybe are they even getting the type of body that they are desiring? You know what I mean? So is Nash Hutchmacher, is he the frame for the nose tackle that they want? Is that the kind they, that shorter but super strong middle guy? I mean, obviously you got Ty Robinson and then you've got Casey Rogers. Those guys are both tall, long guys, but they don't strike me as like overly athletic, you know, pass rushing types. But then you have a Caleb Tanner, who's got a lot of potential, a great frame. Even insulin linebacker, it's Snodgrass, it's Henrich, it's um, Jackson Hanna. It's interesting. Are they are, are those the types we can expect to be recruiting? This the secondary is built full of six two two ten guys across the board. Yeah, it's a challenge to me a little bit. The three four is still new for me to try to kind of wrap my arms around because we're just now. I can't believe I'm still saying this, but three years after Diaco, we're still now just transitioning out guys that were Bo recruits. Uh-huh that came here for a 4-3. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So an Alex yeah. Davis, to me, didn't fit anything. I don't know what his best spot would have been. I think he would have been probably... Power forward. <laughs> uh, 
I think Alex Davis, another 20 pounds on him, hand in the dirt, and being a D-end in a 4-3 is probably the, the, the place I would have put him. When Ben Stilley first got here, at one point he was a outside linebacker yeah. stand-up, and then they threw some weight on him, and they play him at a... He wasn't D, even that bad in coverage. Yeah, D-end as a, in a 3-4, and I look at Ben Stilley, and to me he's more of a 4-3 defensive uh-huh. end, not a 3-4 defensive end. You know, both the Davis twins, they were uh, more 4-3 type recruits than they were for the 3-4. Absolutely. I, I see height that they want at that D end. Again, almost yep. to mirror what they want on the O-line, they want length. It's almost they, wingspan versus height. I mean, because I look at Casey Rogers and Tate Wilderman, and I look at them as being very different type of players than Ty Robinson, but they all are 6'6 or taller. Yeah. And they're looking for big guys on the outside there. Now, I think Nash Huttmacher, I always mm-hmm. screw his name up. I'm, I'm terrible with names <laughs> until they get here. But he does. Just call him the polar bear. The polar bear, I think, fits just like Darian Daniels fits into that Big nose tackle. You need a brute of a dude that can just take up a lot of space and a lot of blockers in the middle. I think so. I think they want that, and that's what they – I remember they had that at UCF, big guy in the middle. That was the thing. When UCF beat Auburn, a lot of times mid-majors can't compete with Power 5 schools – in the trenches. You can always get a quarterback or some skilled players here or there, but you usually get beat up in the trenches. Oh, and when yeah. and when UCF won that Peach Bowl, I remember being so impressed with the three down linemen on defense that UCF had. They could hold their own against an SEC offensive line. The offensive line did a pretty good job. They executed properly. Now, sometimes they got beat. I mean, Auburn had some, like Frost like to call them, some creatures out there, but... But they, they executed you know, well. You know, that, you know they started a true freshman at left guard? UCF, because their starting left tackle uh, was injured in the championship game, and he was out for the Peach Bowl. So they moved their left guard to left tackle and inserted a true freshman left guard going against those five stars on the Auburn line. Yeah. Everything uh, they touched down there was gold. I swear, we need to have somebody come through Memorial Stadium with some sage and just get some demons exercise because I just, well, what the heck's going well, on? Well, the thing that I, I believe this with everything in me is that when you do things the right way and you do them long enough, good things will eventually start to happen. And a lot of Husker fans right now, if I go on Twitter and write this, they, they don't want to hear it. So it's not even worth me mentioning it in that space right now. But there's a lot of good things happening right now behind the scenes. We're just not seeing it on the field yet. But the strength and conditioning, guys are bigger, stronger, faster. That is definitely, without a doubt, happening. We are starting to recruit that mythical 500-mile radius so much better. The Nash Hutchmockers, mm-hmm. the Prochaskas, <laughs> the Corcorans, yeah. the, the Ben Hartz. We are going into Big Ten country and grabbing kids that would be going and playing at Wisconsin and Iowa and Minnesota and Michigan and, and all those schools, and we're getting them to come here. That's going to pay dividends at some point. And we're keeping For us, kids in it, state, too. We're keeping kids in state. Betts is a good example yeah. of that, too. And Frost is building up a walk-on program so that by next year, we've got the go-ahead to get up to 160 kids on the team. And by next year with 160 kids, probably 135 of them roughly are going to be guys that have been here since Frost came here. And the, the other big change that happens next year is that I think that you're going to start to see better depth because we're not going to be so hesitant to play some of the young guys. This year, we were really playing that four-game redshirt rule. And I think if you had to ask Frost after the season, I th- he probably wishes there were some guys he would have played for the season, knowing what he knows now. With the way that Maurice Washington ended up being, oh, yeah. I think Ramir Johnson would have been a guy that we would have played. But you know what? We didn't know that at that time, so... But next year, you're just going to have a bigger pool of players plus a group of walk-on guys that are now in their third years in the program. Those are guys that can start to fill in a lot of depth. 
So that's an area we really were hurt this year. We just we had a depth gap mm-hmm. between where Riley and Frost during that transition. We almost lose an entire class from that 2017 class. There's not many there. Yeah, that's a, it. Was a big hit. Uh, last week when I was posting, I responded to somebody on uh, uh, inside linebacker. We have one senior uh, this year, Mo Berry. He'll be gone. We have two juniors. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Honus uh, Miller, Colin Miller. Guess what? We have nobody else in this junior. No redshirt sophomores. No true sophomores. Everybody else is either a redshirt freshman or a true freshman. Yep. I think it's like uh, I want to say like ten. One senior, two juniors. 10 freshmen. Yep. Uh, by the way, another name, you don't want to forget this one. Keep this one back because uh, this is another one that was happened late in uh, fall camp that people will, you know, when it happens and with everything else, it can sometimes get lost in the shuffle. Remember that kid from Colorado State that transferred back? Schweiger. He was actually playing, yeah. He was actually playing uh, for Colorado State. He left Colorado State to come back and walk on for the Huskers. He's actually played, so he'll be a, a redshirt sophomore next, next year. I'm not quite sure if that's Absolutely. right. Absolutely. And, and guys like Joey Johnson, Chris Cassidy, that are walk-ons that are going into their third years, guys like Hannah and Snodgrass and Heinrich. Reimer, I don't know who out of all that group is going to be the guy that steps up, but what it does is it provides depth behind Miller well, and Connors, and it pushes them. Because right now... That's what I was getting at. The depth is people, if they're... If they're Saying, well, I don't see any hope. I don't see any. I don't see any progress. Well, that's because you don't usually see that much when there's that much lack of depth. Yep. Right now, the progress is in developing depth. It's in the young guys that aren't playing much yet. So, Chaz, let's take that for a second. We're coming off of a bye week right now, and we have three games left on the season. There is a four-game redshirt rule, but there's a number of kids that maybe we've intentionally not played because of the redshirt rule. But now, we're kind of free to do it. Yep. We can go and if Jackson Hanna plays the last three games, he can do it. If Ben Hart plays the last three games, he can do it. I mean, let's get Ronald Tompkins out there. Ronald, whoever it is, <laughs> it, there's an opportunity in these last three games to see some players out there that we haven't seen. Because I think at the end of the day, the thing that's probably frustrated some fans out there as much as anything is when you see the same mistakes being made by same players. Without that depth, you're not getting pushed. And I hate to say it this way, but even like Martinez. It actually took an injury for him to get off the field for us to see the backup come in. And I think Martinez is still the best QB on the team. But it was seeing a backup come in here that is going to push him. Vedral and McCaffrey are going to push Martinez, and that's a good thing. Well, listen. I'm not rooting for a player. I don't really care if it's Martinez or Vedral or McCaffrey. That's a moot point to me. I want the best player, but what I want is that competition that forces the best player to come out. I love Mo Berry. I think the guy is a a true black shirt, as true as you're ever going to get. And yet the guy struggled at times this year, and there was never anybody to push him. And I don't think that made him better. That's the biggest issue. And How many times have you heard Coach Frost when he was interviewed? I know he was on Big Red Wrap-Up a few weeks ago. He referred to, again, I wish we had a few more players in some of these different positions to go back on. They're just lacking depth. It's year two. It's what he's inherited. And 40, I don't know how many uh, recruits in the last two classes are gone. So when you lose 40-some uh, kids, scholarship players, you lose depth. Yep. This takes you back to, because, you know, Saturday's Wisconsin. And, uh, and then it's on to Maryland and then Iowa. The last three games, who plays? 
who do you want to see play? I'd love to see Ben Hart get a chance. Yep. I'd like to see the chemistry of Ben Hart at right tackle and moving Farniak to right guard, although it could be Hickson goes to right guard. I'm not quite sure. Yeah, I, and, I uh, absolutely agree. It would be nice to see in these last three games of the year the best version of this team. Whatever that there looks like, I'd like to see the best version of what they can do. And, and Chaz, I think you're right. I think most Husker fans I talk to – we can see the writing on the wall. This team is where it is, and this and as a program, we've got this much work to do. We clearly have, in my opinion, the right coaching staff and the right model that we're using, but it unfortunately is going to take more time than any of us wanted to either admit or were led to believe. Whatever is what it is, but... Well, it even surprised Scott. I mean, I think it did, heard. too. I think it surprised oh, Scott, no, and I think no people question. were mad at him about it. And it's weird. It's like, one hey, people, he thought they'd people, be better. I remember... I remember one interview where uh, when someone came up to him and said, well, uh, Bill Moose thinks, uh, says uh, progress would only be winning six games. And kind of shrugged that off as well. I think all of us would be would think that uh, would be disappointing if we only won six games. And he is he correct. He thought he had more. <laughs> and to be honest, you can't put it all on one guy, but uh, honestly, nobody would have predicted that uh, Adrian would struggle the way he has this year. I think there's a lot of things that contributed to it. Uh, they they made a decision to start Cam Jurgens, and that meant uh, for how many games the center snap was unpredictable. And then it got to the point where he couldn't count on a good snap, and so that throws the timing off. And then uh, the offensive line, uh, you know, they were replacing some people that meant the running game that they were expecting to have, and they had had in the past. They didn't have the running game, so the past much more pressure I think a lot of things have contributed to make him a little bit more jumpy. He's been a little bit less decisive, plus getting injured hasn't helped. But uh, even before his injury, he was missing on passes and his decision-making was hesitant. And I think a lot of things have contributed to it. But when we look at this year and going into the last three games, I think the difference is Scott thought preseason that Martinez would play a lot better and the team would play better. It just hasn't turned out that way. You remember the, the Prove It post I made back in August after all the hype and everything. This is what they need to prove. And one of the points of Prove It was finish. Finish drives, finish games. If they can finish drives, can they beat lesser opponents? Put teams away when you got a chance. Then you can play your backups, you play your subs, you play some rules fresh and get them some meaningful playing time. So much happens if you can finish. You can do it. You've shown you can do it. You just don't do it consistently. Yep. And to me, if they can do that, they've got the ability, they've got the players, they've got the coaching staff, they've got the concepts, they can do it. They just have to learn to be able to do it consistently. Well, Chaz, this has been wonderful. We've got to do this again. This is not the end of our discussion. This is the just the beginning of future ones with you. We're going to cross our fingers for a couple more wins here. I want to give you the final word. What do you want to let the Redcasters know? What's the most important thing on your mind? I think it's a lot more good than people may be aware of. It's just, it's kind of like an iceberg. Most of it's under the surface, and you're not seeing it. We're not seeing the scout team. We're not in the strength and conditioning room. We're not seeing uh, a lot of what the young players are, how they're developing, but that's where a lot of the talent is. This is a talent that is recruited to fit the schemes and the culture. A lot of that class of 2019 came from winning programs. They played in state championships. They won state championships. That's where the future is. That's where we're headed. And you may not see it now. It may not be translating on the field yet. Although they, we still got a couple games. I'm still, I'm not throwing out Iowa just yet. And I'm not throwing out Maryland just yet. Uh, we may still see something. We'll see. But my eye is still looking ahead to uh, off-seasons and the development. Because that's where the icebergs really get developed. 
Amen, and, and go Big Red. Thank you so go much, Chaz. Good to talk. And now, Scarlet Colored Glasses. You play a team like this, you need to be ahead. Our defense did a, a pretty good job holding them to field goal on the first drive. Uh, you can't let a team like this get out in front of you because they're just going to keep pounding you and pounding you and hammering it with the run game and taking time off the clock. Uh, no pressure. Um, it's just another game, another football game. Um, the trophy's never left here, so um, I don't think it's a rivalry yet. So maybe it was before, but it, it definitely isn't anymore. All right, guys, so we're putting our scarlet-colored glasses on here and talking all things Husker football, and uh, it is Wisconsin week. You know, we just heard from Scott Frost there talking about how he uh, got behind Wisconsin ultimately in uh, last year's game, and, you know, that's something you don't want to do versus the Badgers. You know, I I was looking at the history of Nebraska-Wisconsin, and uh, we have lost a lot of games in a row. I do have a really positive memory of Wisconsin, Nebraska, though. The the comeback that we did, I can't remember Boomer if that was 2012 or 2013. 2012, yeah. Dave, yeah. 2012, yeah. Um, I We were down at half by quite a bit, if I remember right. And uh, I made a bet with my wife that Nebraska would come back. And uh, she she bet me a, a golden retriever. If we would do that. And it's a standard behold, Vegas bet, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to bet you a dog. We've been talking about getting a dog for some time, um, in addition to our five-pound Maltese. And uh, lo and behold, uh, Nebraska comes back, takes down the Badgers, and I have a uh, seven-year-old golden retriever named Jarvis Redwine sitting next to me right now. So for me, it's all great memories of us in this Wisconsin matchup. I won't call it a rivalry. Uh, because as we heard, we haven't <laughs> had that trophy. Mac, do you have any positive memories of Wisconsin over the last decade or so? No, Dave. <laughs> Not a single one. <laughs> I think Wisconsin might be our career rushing leader. I'm like Between all their running backs, I think they have more combined yards than Mike Rozier. Uh, yeah, just, no, I made that up. I don't know. But it feels like it. <laughs> well, that 2012 game, Dave, that you're talking about there. And by the way, uh, Jarvis Redwine, we have many photos of him that you can see on our Instagram page at Go Big Redcast. So, you know, follow us on Instagram. Um, but that 2012 game was interesting because the, the star of the game on defense for us was Baker Steincooler. And then he gets hurt in the Iowa game one week before the Big Ten Championship which, of course, we replay Wisconsin. At that point, we were in the Leaders and Legends division, so the divisions were different. And when Steinkuhler gets hurt, we don't have any defensive tackles because we're redshirting uh, Vincent Valentine and Aaron Curry. Wow. And <laughs> with Steinkuhler out, we move in Cam Meredith. Oh, Is that Cam right? Meredith. Cam so Meredith. our, our DN became a D-tackle. And basically, Belima went to this really high-tech, New wave offense called the nine man line, mm. and they had nine guys literally on the line, one guy in the backfield, and they just ran it against us. And yeah, five hundred and some rushing yards later, and one really good block by Kenny Bell. Yeah, I was going to say Kenny Bell's block is probably the highlight of yeah, my Wisconsin that we keep, right you know, that we keep using as a as a gif. I, I, I call a lot it of GIF, out of that. but uh, it's a nice Twitter gif out there. <laughs> Boomer, do you have any uh, positive memories of uh, the Wisconsin games? I mean, maybe uh, Taylor Martinez's run in that championship game? Uh, there were not many positives to Wisconsin. Uh, that's all I can say. I, I, I enjoyed our first visit to Wisconsin. We went to the 
I know Honky and I both, and Dave, you went with us too to that first yep, game in Madison, our, our first Big Ten game back in 2011. Yep. October. Right. Probably had to be October then. And that was a fun time. It was our first shot at the Big Ten. And fun time. I actually enjoyed Wisconsin. I liked Madison as a city. And the fans weren't horribly obnoxious. They were drunk, but granted, so were we. So it was part of the fun. <laughs> It was good. Russell Wilson was their quarterback then, and I, I can't hate Russell Wilson. I'm a Seahawks fan, so I've always liked him as well. And so that's your positive. That's the best I can do, and it's just yeah. the fact we've beat Wisconsin once since we've joined the Big Ten, and there have been no positives since then. So it's I'm stretching here, Dave. I'm doing the best I can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they they've had our number. I mean, they're our team that has just crushed us in this conference since we've joined. Yeah, I mean, Boomer, you're right. They have had our number, but. All things can change, right, Honky? So, I mean, what's your recipe for success here in this game? How can Nebraska actually pull off the upset? Well, I'm going to answer your question with a question, Dave. And this comes from James. <laughs> only, I can only do that. Very Socratic there, Honky. I like it. Uh, again, we're going to go back to our Plowboys barbecue and a mailbag. And this comes from James from Facebook. And he says, Jonathan Taylor ran for 470 yards against NU in 2017 and 18. And he just ran for 250 yards against Iowa last week. How in the world is NU going to keep him from putting up Melvin Gordon numbers on us this week? And I guess to answer that question about how are we going to win this game or what's the recipe, Dave, it is we've got to stop their running game. Number one, you've got to make a team one-dimensional, right? And if we can... Get a lead early. That's what Frost talked about at the end of last year's game. You know, if, we, if you don't get the lead, if you're playing from behind against Wisconsin, you've already lost. We've got to get a lead. And then in the same time that we're getting the lead, we've got to limit the amount of yards Jonathan Taylor's making against us. Right? I, we're not going to shut him down. He's not going to end up with negative five. But we it can't be 250 either. I'm a little concerned at that whole one-dimensional thing. I mean, Indiana was plenty one-dimensional against us, and they won. They didn't bother running the ball at all. So You should be concerned about all of it, Michael. I mean, <laughs> Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, absolutely. Every concern you have is valid. Okay, I'll, I'll put it a different way. If Wisconsin can throw the ball on us, I mean, we're really in I trouble. I hope they do. Well, I'd love, I'd, I'd love really, them I'd to love try it. it. I'd love, I would love Wisconsin. Yeah, I mean, do you, do you just stack the box? You put eight or nine guys in the box and say, hey, if you can throw on us, great. Is that the best approach to this game? Well, Honky is like, how, you know, if you're going to lose, how do you want to lose, right? And you don't want to get, get beat by Jonathan Taylor. You'd rather have Jack Cohen beat you, right? And so, Correct. um, what we've learned from watching Wisconsin a little bit is that he can be flustered in the pocket. So to Boomer's point, even though it sounds ridiculous, I mean, uh, really putting a lot of pressure up on that line, uh, stopping the run and getting after Jack Cohen and, and seeing if you can force him into some bad throws, even if it's a one-on-one coverage, maybe uh, an answer to that Wisconsin offense. Well, you know, I think, what, Pelini in that 2012 championship game, he tried the 4-1 defense against them. Maybe this time we do a 3-7 or something and just get everybody <laughs> conceivably put in there. Maybe I'm being crazy for saying this. I think our D-line can hold up against Wisconsin's offensive line. That's not my biggest concern, which I would say, by the way, is progress. But my bigger concern is the four guys that are right behind him and having to make the tackles and filling the gaps and all of that. That is a major area of concern for me. I mean, this is a game where Mo Berry needs to get those guys and get the young buck like Garrett Nelson, who just got the black shirt today, and he needs to get those guys together. And, I mean, this has to be their best game. We have to win a Big Ten-style game this weekend. I mean, I've said that multiple times. This isn't Indiana, Boomer. 
this isn't going to be 45 passes against us. <laughs> We've got to be able to stop a run. Mac, do you feel like uh, Wisconsin will try to do this, some of the same things that, say, Minnesota did um, with that those stretch plays, et cetera, or do they have a different running style? I think they'll absolutely do a lot of those stretch plays against us because that is one of Jonathan Taylor's biggest strengths. He's He's strong. He's pretty fast good balance but he is so good at reading his blocks and he is so good at finding soft spots on those stretch plays and he's decisive once he goes and it's terrifying to think about if he gets past the line of scrimmage with the tackling that we've seen this year you know answer that question earlier about how do we stop him it's either he gets hurt or he's just done in half because the damage has been done Does he, does he fumble? I mean, I haven't watched him enough. Does he put the ball on the turf at all? He did a little bit earlier in the year a couple times. and I mean, he's My had, hope was he's had so many carries. I was hoping at this point of the year he'd be dinged up, but it doesn't sound like it. Well, so Dave, you and I were privy to this conversation. The other guys weren't. Uh, we had a text chain going with Iowa Sean, uh, mm. Dave's next-door yes. neighbor who's been on the show before. And Iowa Sean, hopefully you're listening right now. We were asking him a little bit about, like, you know, how did, how did Jonathan Taylor do against Iowa? I didn't watch every down of that game. And he mentioned that, you know, Iowa was the only team in the country that hadn't allowed a 20-yard run, and that was still the case until Taylor had three in the fourth quarter. <laughs> so, really, Iowa had done a pretty good job through about three quarters of keeping Taylor in, t- in check. Yeah. But it was the fourth quarter where that was the, the Just final. Just goes to show that a lead against a team like Wisconsin is so big. Because oh. if they can just keep running and keep running, it's just a matter of time before that dam breaks. Because they're not going to stop. I've mentioned at nauseum now in the last you know week that we were up 41-3 collectively on the Colorados and you know Indianas and Purdue's and lost all three of those games. Um, if there's ever a week, and I don't care how it happens, I don't care if... People stub their toes and just, you know, we just luck into it. If there's ever a week we can get a 10-0 lead, Ugh. a 14-0 lead, Pick this is the game. Pick we have back. Every point is so crucial early in this game, Dave, so that we can get some kind of lead and anything we can do to try to dictate the style and the pace of the game being played, that's our only chance. Yeah, and this is a game where if, if we can run the ball at all, I think we have a it improves a little. I mean, because this game, Wisconsin-Iowa last week, Iowa ran for, I think, 87 yards, give or take, or a few against Wisconsin, and they were within two points. So if we can establish any kind of running game at all in this, I think it'll be huge. That's a good point, Boomer. I mean, Wisconsin's defense is really good. We were talking a lot about how we're going to defend the Wisconsin O, but uh, they give up 200 yards a game. I mean, and that that run D is is stifling. Um, Another factor... I mean, I think we've established that we need to score early and, and get some sort of lead. Another factor that, um, if you look at Wisconsin's losses recently, is turnover margin. And if Wisconsin turns the ball over, um, whether it's INTs or fumbles, uh, they will let you stay in the game. This is what happened versus Illinois, right? And so, got to win that turnover battle. Yeah. And, you know, can we run the ball on them? I don't know. But what I do know is... If we're going to, we've got to be able to have a heavy dose of Dedrick Mills in a game like this. And a side note of that, and this is talking with, again, Iowa Sean. Also, I have a former coworker, Kirk, who's an Iowa fan. There were limitations with Nate Stanley. Stanley isn't going to run and produce with his legs. Mm. And 
that is the whole selling point of having Martinez out there. Mm-hmm. Whether we think Martinez is ever going to be a Heisman thrower or not, I mean, that's a whole moot point. But one thing that he does bring to the game is his legs. And if he doesn't bring his legs to this game, he's a sitting duck. If we're sitting there... In <laughs> I was the, just literally picturing him without well, his legs. <laughs> if we if we are sitting there in the pocket... This is a terrible idea. It's <laughs> a horrible game plan. If we are sitting there in the first quarter throwing side screen and side screen and side screen oh, and, trying, yeah, yeah, and yeah. trying to spread the defense out to the uh, sidelines. But we will. If that's, but we will absolutely do. I'd rather see what we saw in the fourth quarter against Purdue where option was included and we need to roll them out the way we did with McCaffrey. We have got to use the legs of this quarterback. It, I'm tired of seeing Martinez. Was it the Martinez. Purdue game that we watched? Yeah, it was the Purdue you're, game, you, the exact you, same you brought game. It up. You brought it up at the game and you're like, I want to see him be more aggressive running. And I was, you know, it was early and it was first time back and I was kind of like, well, just just wait. Let's see how this goes. But you're right. He he has to be involved almost to the point where it's like a, a called pull and he runs it. Yeah. You know, just force the issue. Don't make it a read. Make it a go. We saw and, it with Frost. And, and push Frost it. on the sideline that one time. Yeah. Just, just go. Because until they start respecting that, they're just going to keep dropping back there and, and make him throw over linebackers to short wide receivers who have to jump up in the air and get their clocks clean by safeties. And that's just not going to fly. Well, so. there is one receiver that we know about that's happened this week that isn't so small, and that is Hickman, a true freshman, but a freshman that up to this point uh, is playing as a tight end, but an undersized one. He's moving to, to wide yeah. receiver on the depth chart. Watch out, Badgers. I, hey, he's a 6'6 dude, and at least it gives us something different. It gives us a different option, Dave. Yep. I mean, it's a free agent as far as I'm concerned right now. Yeah, I mean, we've been calling for bigger receivers, and uh, we get one uh, kind of off the waiver wire here with uh, three games to go. Let's see if he can make, it, make an impact because, boy, we sure need playmakers out there and matchup issues, and we've not seen that all year long. So what the mm-hmm. heck? Absolutely. All right, well, that's uh, probably more of a Wisconsin preview than uh, we've done for most of our other games. But, uh, you know, with the bye week, it's uh, a lot of time to focus on the the opponent. Let's uh, use that to do some predictions. Say, uh, Boomer, what are you calling here? Gosh, I really would love to pick us to win, but got it. Boomer, what's the, the spread's probably 14? 14, 14 last time I checked. It's been waving around that 13.5 to 14.5 range the last few days right. it's started at 12 i hear is that right i think it was 14 when it first looked but it's it's okay. kind of wavered in and out but this is a game you know you you kind of are what your stats say here at this point unless something crazy happens in wisconsin you know turns we win the turnover margin horribly and special teams comes into play here and wisconsin statistically is just so much better than we are in all categories so I'm going to go Wisconsin 24 and Nebraska 21, as much as I hate to say it, but that's where I'm at. All right, relatively low scoring. They're going to try to control the clock, and maybe not going to see a lot, I think, in this game. I mean, it was 24-22 versus Yeah, Iowa, so I think so they're going to try to play that same kind of game, I think. All right, and we keep them to 24 points, I guess. So, I mean, and to some ways, we're actually keeping uh, Taylor down to some degree. All right, Mac. I'm going to go... With a Clubber Lang prediction of pain, and but unfortunately it's going to be ours. Anything that would allow me to predict a Husker victory would would just be me, <laughs> like inventing a scenario in my mind that I haven't seen all year from this team. You know, we win the turnover margin, blah blah blah. It's probably not going to happen. Thirty-one, fourteen, Badgers. All right, hockey. Look, I'm as scarlet-colored glasses as they come, and I've called a Husker victory for 
every single game this year. Yeah. I mean, I feel a little bit like Corso right now. Did you for Ohio State too? Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, boy. Yeah. uh, You know, why not to be small? Well, yeah. Good for you. So I'm picking Wisconsin. <laughs> and I'm picking, That's not being small. And, I, and I'm not picking the, the victory to be small. I'm picking Wisconsin to win 41-24, which is the exact same score as last year's game. I can still see improvement from a year ago if I see the game being played differently. Um, 41-24 last year was a, could be a different style than 41-24 this year. What I want to see is I want to see in the trenches our D-line hold up to their O-line. That is important to me. I want to see us be able to – get something going on the ground. But we've been so mistake prone yep. that 41 we we could out yard them in this game and lose 41 to 24. We've shown that. So the point is is that prove me wrong this weekend, Huskers. Don't make those mistakes. Play the clean game you played against Purdue in terms of turnovers and penalties and field position. But win the game. Yeah. You know? I mean, that's we won. We did all those things well against Purdue, and we that's the worst part about win. the Purdue game. So, so do all those things right again for a second straight week. And, and it'll get be the, 41. <laughs> and get the ball in the end zone early. <laughs> get the lead. And and prove me wrong, but 41-24. And then go out recruiting. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right, yeah, I'm, I'm in the same boat, guys. I would love to take Nebraska, but it's just hard to get there. You know, I, I've... Last year's game, J.D. Spillman had, I think, a school record like 209 yards. So I'll be interested to see if Spillman matches up um, against this Wisconsin defense uh, again this year and produces some numbers. I have a sense that we're going to actually put up some yards. And so I'll I'll go 31-24 Badgers. All right, let's get out of here with some parting shots. Let's let's start with hockey. We mentioned that Garrett Nelson – Received a black shirt today, and congratulations to him. Also, congratulations to Damian Jackson. He also received yep. black shirt with it being Veterans Day week and everything. I mean, that is just that's an awesome storyline right there by itself. So, congratulations to both of both those guys. But also, congrats to Wyatt Missouri on getting the last scholarship. There was still one hanging scholarship during this semester, and Wyatt Missouri got that. So, very happy for him. Uh, the other thing, and Dave, I don't even know if you want to just touch on this a little bit. We don't want to do a whole segment on baseball, but there's a nice article from the World Herald that talked about how Nebraska was becoming a go-to spot for local players to come here. Drew Christo, uh, our alma mater, Columbus Scotus, had Tyler Palmer that's come here. So also we're here getting, for the baggers. Yeah, we're getting some <laughs> we're getting some local kids coming here, and and uh, basically, I mean, it was a very nice article. I, I'm probably giving hype. And we don't want to hype during the offseason, but I'm giving some hype to, to baseball, That's, Dave. It hasn't failed us yet. Yeah. Basketball came out like gangbusters. Football's killing it. Well, you know, baseball's <laughs> surely going to go fine. Well, Dave, you, you usually don't do a parting shot, but, I mean, I, I want to give you a shot here to talk a little baseball at least. Would just add to that. I mean, I don't think the hype is necessarily next year's team, which I think could be similar to last year's team. So I'm not saying that that, that they um, can't be a, a quality squad next year and make the tournament but I, the hype i think really is actually in coming years because Wilbolt is actually uh, keeping that in-state talent some of it highly regarded in-state talent um here and that makes a big difference so let's see how he can uh kind of build on those early recruiting wins and my last uh parting shot has to do with basketball and i just wanted to let everyone know the season has started yeah we are playing basketball we are <laughs> We're, we're just doing preseason right now, right? The games don't count. I am officially not talking. Turns out we are sponsored by Adidas. 
that much I know. Hey, Kentucky lost today, so everybody's yeah struggling early. So yeah, they lost but to Evansville. Hard, I mean. hard times all around. <laughs> you know, I mean, you never know when they turn it around. The team is finding itself. Um, if they could actually find the bucket a little more often, uh, you know, Fred Horberg and his squad would, would actually have a chance to win. Is the, hey, Dave, Dave, does Stevenson have a chance of playing or is he just not playing? Yeah, no, I think he still has a chance. Apparently uh, this the NCAA is way behind schedule in granting or just reviewing all these requests. Uh, last time I heard there was over 50 requests still out there, um, in the pending file, essentially. So we are not alone in this. It's not an unusual case. Nebraska didn't do anything wrong. NCA is just behind schedule. Maybe Alabama needs to run the NCA. They can, they can hire enough, you know, analysts or somebody that could at least get this thing going through. My goodness. Yeah, no doubt. Boomer, you're always looking for that, you know, that time management position, but clearly the NCAA needs some help with, Reviews? I mean, 50? <laughs> That's not an unusually large number. How many people think? Uh, we're available to DM us, NCAA. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Boomer, you want to take the next shot? Just want to comment. It was a great uh, football weekend for those of us. It was a bye week, so it was kind of just fun to sit back and enjoy, you know, games to watch, whether it was, you know, LSU, Alabama, Minnesota, Penn State, just so couple of weeks left of this regular season. Let's just kind of enjoy it as Husker fans. Maybe there'll be a bowl game. Maybe there won't. But just, uh, you know, the football season's so short. Just, just enjoy what we've got. You know, we'll have plenty of off season to plan for next year. So enjoy these last three weeks for sure. And hopefully there'll be a bowl game. So go on from there. Go Big Red. All right. Mac, what do you got? Um, my parting shot is kind of a shout out uh, to Michael J. Schaefer. Um, you know... We love Dirk at the Redcast, everybody. <laughs> but he's got this he's got this habit of throwing out something kind of negative and crappy about the program. All and the you know, time. every single tweet. And then <laughs> and then he he will ignore every reply to those tweets because it's just, you know, random Husker fans who who say they hate him. And I get that. But he was not allowed to ignore Mike Schaefer because they're colleagues and peers of each other. And, and, and Schaefer did a nice job of holding his feet to the fire and not letting him just put out some garbage post and, and get away with well, it. Well, what was the, the garbage post? Oh, now? the garbage post was how we, how we blew it with Burrow not once, but twice. And then as soon as Schaefer called him out and said, eh, that just seems like a bit of a stretch, then, then Dirk's really good at sort of it sort of reminds me of how when I argue with my wife and I'm starting to lose I sort of shift the argument a little bit as I go you know it, it felt very much like that and Schaefer just kind of kept him on point and it was beautiful and I, I truly enjoyed it but uh, Dirk you lost that bad buddy <laughs> Uh, good stuff. Good stuff. Hey, fellow Columbus guy, yeah. right? You know, so they both are, true. right? I thought Schaefer's from. Oh, Schaefer is yeah. too. What am I talking yeah. about? Yeah. yeah. We just needed Simple to get involved, and that would have been it. Oh, that escalated <laughs> quickly. <laughs> Someone brought a trident. Uh, <laughs> all right, guys. Great stuff. Uh, enjoyed the uh, bi week show. Let's call that a Go Big Red cast. Go Big Red. Compete with whiskey. Compete on whiskey. We'll make that, we'll make that work.